When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by the Women in Revenue. Welcome to Theodora Speaks. Today, I'm interviewing my first male guest. You're probably like, what? Theodora Speaks is for women. Well, yes, it is. However, we uplift men, and it's all about eventually getting a male's perspective. And I'm going to be sprinkling in men here and there, to give us a perspective on how to better not only work together, but understand one another. What communication traits, for example, are the best to use to get along? Because remember, we don't have to be likable in the workplace or in life. We have to be respectable. And also, what point of views from better to thrive than survive can we learn from men? How do we unplug It's really hard for women to unplug, whether it be in their personal, professional lives. So why not ask a man, how do you do it so well? How do you unplug and and not think about everything that's on the plate and everything on our to-do list? And so I've been looking for a while for my first male guest. And Rob Ash was served to me on a silver platter. He recently gave a book review of my book, Full Steam Ahead four stars on LinkedIn. And he has something called Rob's Reads, where he goes and gives great book reviews. And what I loved about his review, yes, I'm grateful for the four stars, but the thing that I loved the most is he gave the review through a male lens, through a male perspective, because my book is for working women. However, there are lessons in there to be learned and had for men. And he found them and shared them. So I thought it would be great to bring him today on today as my first male guest. He's the director of business applications at Microsoft. He loves to cook. He's a musician where he plays the guitar and the piano. He's also a jujitsu instructor and competitor. And what I love about jujitsu is what he taught me, that it covers three of my five pillars, courage, confidence, and balance, and how that's so applicable to our lives. Sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation with Rob because he is dynamic and so unique. He not only does he have words of wisdom to share, but he's charismatic. He's empathetic. And when I asked him about what four things he brings to a cocktail party, one of them is gratitude. And listen, why gratitude matters at a cocktail party. Women in Revenue lives in a world where every woman has access to a thriving, supportive community of powerful, diverse, and daring members. As a nonprofit organization, they exist to serve women in revenue-generating roles across marketing, customer success, and sales with goals of workplace equity, inclusion, and career acceleration. Women in Revenue is a transformative organization which elevates, highlights, and encourages 
future female leaders. Their community strives to remove barriers and power career trajectories forward. Together, they unlock new opportunities for women in revenue, generating roles through networking, education, mentorship, and many other benefits. Visit womeninrevenue.org for more information. Rob, this is a huge day. Welcome and I'm thank honored. you. I'm honored. Thank you. Well, I'm honored to have you. So as one of your favorite bands, Green Day would say, when I come around, I'm finally <laughs> having my first male podcast. So what do you think about that? Uh, I'm very excited about it. It's it's something that uh, one I've been it's been very fun for me to watch your journey from um, kind of starting to put out content and and trying to put out I think really relevant and interesting information for uh, working professionals and um, people that are you know in various stages of their career. So it's been really interesting for me to uh, watch from the sidelines and now um, get called into the game. Well, you're the right player for the game. You know, for ever since I launched Theodora Speaks, I said, okay, I'm going to have a few males along the way. And yes, I cater to working women, but there are messages for men. I sincerely thank you for tuning in and for your support. So there are a few reasons, a myriad of reasons why I thought you would be the perfect male guest on Theodora Speaks. The first one being your dedication and your knowledge of allyship. And how do you navigate allyship? I think it's the concept is something that it's we started talking about it a lot more. Um, I would say it's probably it was more an intentional word usage, I would say maybe four or five years ago. And we started hearing more about it. And and I think for me, you know, I grew up in a household where I had my mom and my dad, and I had two older sisters, both 10 years older than me. Um, so my early years, I always kind of had, I always had guidance and um, structure provided to me from my older sisters. And, 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 I, and I don't know if that experience, I, I assume that it would have some level of impact on just kind of my worldview in general. But I've also been very fortunate in the fact that I've been, I've been kind of surrounded by female leaders pretty much my entire life, my entire career, my home life, just something that I've always seen. And I think the them sharing their stories with me on what they've either encountered or different perspectives than they might have than maybe traditional narratives that you would have around, you know, more uh, male dominated leadership lessons or things that are only being said by men. And, and I think it was one of those things where I just found myself uh, trying to focus more on listening. It's, it sounds very simple, but really just kind of listening and then kind of go, okay, what can I do to help? It's it it's a fairly simple concept. I, you know, it's uh, it's one of the things I say in jujitsu a lot is um, simple, not easy. And you know, I think that the the simplicity of a thing can be um, it's it's easy to explain to someone, but then okay, how do you put it into practice? And then how do you also navigate the complexities of just relationships and uh, not doing too much when you're when you're having a conversation with someone listening is doing and and that's enough you don't have to do more after that you can just start by listening and i was like wow that's actually a really powerful thing i think especially for 
people that might consider themselves more uh, type A problem solvers, where somebody gives you a problem, you go, oh, well, you know what you should do? You know, you should do this. You know, no, I just need you to listen right now. Just just hear me out. I just kind of need to vent or whatever that might be. And um, I think finding finding opportunities to, one, just check in with people and listen to them. Then there is that application of when you do ask, is there anything I can do to help? Then that's that's where the next step of action may take. And maybe it's um, providing counsel. Maybe it's opening up your network. Maybe it's... Um, you know, sharing examples of things that you've done in your own career or in relationships in life. And, but I think a key part of that is um, asking for, asking for permission to do, as opposed to just assuming that you should, because I think that's maybe not the best way to go about it. Or at least I've, I found myself getting into trouble, particularly in my marriage, when I try to maybe jump into problem solving a little too quickly. And I should just I should just listen. Oh, you and my husband would get along great because, uh, yes, men <laughs> tend to typically want to solve the problem and women just want to be heard, right? That we want our stories to be heard. We want to vent. But that, you know, I've worked with you at Microsoft. We've been colleagues. I've seen you in action. You're a good listener. But then you listen and then follow up with these actionable insights to get those outcomes that the person maybe needs or asks of. So sometimes just being there and being empathetic is huge. And what I love about when I asked you about allyship, you didn't even touch upon gender. And so that's a that's something I just want to hone in on for a minute because yes, we've heard allyship for the last few years, but some people still don't know what that means. And they say, oh, that must mean women working with men. Mm, not necessarily. We need to uplift each other. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's women working with women. Mm, yes. But it's all all of us getting along, all of us listening all of us being respectful as we communicate. We don't have to be likable, but we have to be respectable, especially in the workplace. It's a great point. And, and, you know, even when I think to myself, when I think about, okay, if I'm, am I supporting my friend and their wellness and mental health, regardless of uh, whatever identity they may, um, whatever they, they, you know, whatever identity they may, um, they may have for themselves, there's there's other layers to it too you know am i it's just generally being kind and then being open to the idea that the people around you may not be may not be having the, a great time or they might not be having the same experience as you and just check in on them you know if, if, even if it's someone i was on a call yesterday and uh there was big personalities on the call and, you know, it's when it's on video and you can see kind of the tiles of people and you can see the one person who's maybe not as gregarious, literally going like this and like trying to jump in. And then the next personality takes the ball and they start to run with it and just taking a second to go, hey, guys, guy, guys, hold on a second. Uh, it, it looked like you were trying to say something at least three or four times. You want to jump in and just giving somebody like we got to you know, pick and roll, just kind of giving somebody a little bit of space so they can step into a conversation. Even something as simple as that, you can do that. You can find ways to do that any day, any day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Diversity and inclusion is all the rage, but you just talked about inclusion right there, right? We all have diverse personalities and how do we feel included? How do we feel like we belong? So that's great that as a leader, you tune into that, Let's, you know, and give that someone the space because not everyone's an extrovert there. Mm -hmm. I have a, a friend of mine is a very, 
a very talented, very successful CEO of, of a, a company here in town. And, and I asked him, I was just like, you, like, how, how do you, how do you navigate all these personalities? You're dealing with big investors and, and all these, all this pressure all the time. And he's just like, all I'm trying to do is read the room all day, every day, read my room. If I'm in with my team, I'm reading the room, I'm checking in with people. Somebody doesn't look like they're having a good time or they don't agree. I want to understand whether I'm, maybe there's times you talk to that person publicly. Maybe there's other times you pull them aside and you go, Hey, how do you feel? How do you really feel about this? Cause you seem like you're nodding your head, but I don't think you really want to nod your head. So you can tell me. And that like things like that as a leader, you totally build trust with people because you're literally giving them the opportunity to be heard. And whether or not you take any action off of that, you're still taking the time to value their opinion. And if people feel value, I mean, you start going down the line of that's why people stay at organizations because they feel valued, they feel heard, and they'll give up other incentives that might look great on a, you know, a job posting or something like that. But they're like, yeah, no, I like working for that leader because they trust me. I like working for that leader because I can tell them what I think. And I don't have to worry about the political ramifications of what that might mean for the organization if I don't go along with the plan or, you know, you, you hear things like this all the time. But if you can build that trust with anyone, that's where you can have sustained success in, in a relationship or a business or whatever that might be. Culture comes to mind there when you were talking. You're going to have a really good culture if your employees feel like they are heard. And maybe like you mentioned, their idea, the opportunity might not be the chosen one, but at least they felt heard, appreciated, and mm -hmm. my word again, you know, belonging. And I'd love to hear some of the tips you offer to flip the switch for the listeners to go from thriving to surviving? I love that question because I think there's a certain element of most, most people, when they think about their life, it's actually just a series of moments that are mostly bookmarked by the beginning of the day of their and their end of the day. Right. And most people have certain things that are part of their routine or their responsibilities that they do. And depending on whether or not they're an active passenger in, in the ride or whether or not they're taking the wheel and being like, oh no, this is what I'm doing today because I need to get this done. And I think people, if they don't take the time to actually look at their day and almost audit how much of this is responsibilities, keeping the lights on, keeping the wheels going versus what is in service of my, one, my, my wellness as a person, my broader goals selfishly for me, just for me. And am I doing those things? Am I, am I even moving the ball forward an inch towards anything that is, um, if you like the, uh, I, I love the, the work of Jim Collins, the, the, the writer in Stanford business MBA mind. Um, but he always says, what, what are your BHAGs? Uh, big, hairy, audacious goals. And if you have even a couple of those off in the distance, and you can make even a, a little bit of progress on that, even as, as five, 10, 15 minutes throughout your day, you get the mental win of knowing that you're moving that forward. Maybe you're uh, taking the time to reach out to someone who's influential in your network. Or for me, I really like music. So I like practice. Like, And I'm getting done with my MBA here in like a week. And I'm already thinking, okay, well, I'm getting that done. I'm going to, I, I want to be able to play a cocktail jazz set on piano 
sometime in the future because I, I went to college for music and I always liked piano guitars my, my instrument but I was fascinated with piano and so I'm just literally carving out time I, I maybe 30 minutes a day it's really not that much it's like before, you know my wife usually goes to bed before I do and she's she's reading her book and I spend 30 minutes and I go okay cool I'm gonna sit down and, and work out some changes and I know that that's in service of something that I'll be doing for hopefully decades but I can just go okay I, I know I can get that into my day and if I can do that, and you know, if you're starting to align things in like pillars of your life, and I think, especially if people don't know how to get started, that's usually um, one of the things that one of my mentors did for me. And now I do it for people when I'm I'm kind of consulting with them or trying to help them figure out what do they even what do they want to do, is we do this North Star exercise, and you you write down all the like maybe maybe you just say okay let's just do a list of ten things that are the most important things in your life. And now cut it to five. Now cut it to three. Everything is like my family, number one. If it's gonna put my family at risk, nope, sorry, can't do it. Okay, is this, do I genuinely think that this thing is fun or in service of something that is fun? Okay, awesome, interested. Freedom, do I have the freedom to be able to support my family and fun and other things that I may have going on. It's a really simple exercise, but you, it seems so simple. But then you think, okay, well, what really matters to me? And do my actions and the habits that I have in support of my actions, do they align with the things that I say and what I do? Mm -hmm. And if they don't, then you get to have an interesting conversation. You go, okay, well, why is that? You say you value this. You say you value your health, but what steps are you taking to support your health? And if, and if health is a stressor for you or something that, that you're worried about, then, okay, we've got some very tactical things that we can do to address that, but you got to um, uh, map without a compass isn't very helpful. So you need to have the compass no. first, right? <laughs> you just gave me a huge exhale with the North Star exercise and the family fun freedom. I mean, that is excellent advice. So Thank you. And that might, you might, you practice that every day. So you're probably like, well, that's easy for me, right? That's in my practice, mm -hmm. but not all of us have that. So thank you for giving me that great exhale. And I want to unpack, I mean, congratulations on almost, you know, getting your MBA. You're almost to the finish line. Congrats on the whole cocktail party planning. I want to talk about that, <laughs> that into your day. But one more question, when we think about men versus women, men are also really good at unplugging. Women multitask, and sometimes we multitask too much, and it's a detriment and not a benefit. And so men are so good at taking one task at a time and doing a really good job, but then also knowing how to unplug. So what advice do you have around unplugging? That is a, that is a growth area for me. I will, I will uh, be very, very transparent about that. Um, when I think about unplugging, I actually treat that as a, a literal term. I, when I want to, when I truly want to um, relax and be like, okay, I need to recharge my batteries. I don't, I, I work in technology. I've got multiple screens within earshot of me. I literally, I disconnect everything and I pick up a book or I go grab my guitar and do whatever. And I, if I'm going to plug in anything, I'll plug in that. But if it has a screen on it, I probably won't. Um, and, and I think that that really helps because you get, 
I think that there's so much information digitally that's coming at us. And then there's also the emotional ramifications that come along with, you know, the uh, FOMO, the fear of missing out, or uh, what would this do to my relationship if I don't respond to this person within a certain period of time because of the social norms that we've established or this like obligation to participate in other things, which can quite literally drain your batteries. And, and I think for me, I didn't, I think the the concept of detachment is something that I think a lot of people struggle with because most people seek connection. And that's a thing that are like, well, I want to I want to stay connected. You know, I think it's it's not as simple as that. I think it's a it, it's an ebb and a flow. And there's times when you want to be on offense and and pushing information and checking checking in with people and maybe giving a lot of energy. And then there's other times when you got to fill your battery back up and you have to figure out how best to do that, you know, and even throughout a day, if unplugging means, okay, I'm just not going to check my email when I go for a run in the morning, or like, for me, I like to train Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's a very analog activity. You can't be like, Oh, hold on a second. Let me check my phone. Like it, it's, that doesn't really work like that. And <laughs> finding, finding those kinds of opportunities to, do something for the sake of doing it. I think that that to me has been really helpful. Um, the and trying to orient yourself towards, you know, and this goes to, you know, being present or, or reducing distractions for things. Um, if you practice any meditation or anything like that, that's um, one of the things they talk about is the monkey mind where you have these little things that'll just be like, oh, hey, what about this? Hey, you haven't, you haven't picked up that yet from the, from the dry cleaners. Hey, there's this little thing. And even when those things are happening, you can kind of go, okay, just, just go away. Just let it go. You know, and that, that, but how, like, cause in tech, right. You're, you're, you're plugged in and mm -hmm. how can you unplug that computer and plug in that guitar? Like what's the, how do you do it? I think you have to get good at saying no. Boundaries. Boundaries. And and I think it actually has to come from a place of confidence that you need that for you. And, and, and especially when you're working in sales and you've got people around you like, Hey, but we got this thing, we got this. One of the things I, I got this advice from a friend of mine once, cause I was kind of spiraling. I was going through a big deal and there's all this stuff and I had wish, I'm too much on my plate. And he goes, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm like, well, I lose the deal and then uh, I don't know, I get yelled at or, you know, I get fired and he goes, okay. And what's the worst that's going to happen? I, I don't know. Like me and my wife leaves me and there's the other spiral of things. And he goes, okay. And what's the worst that's going to happen? And he just kept asking me it. And I was getting so frustrated with him. And he goes, yeah, I, I think you'll survive. So it's not life or, life or death. Don't treat it like it. And I was like, fair. And the 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 concept of like, yeah, what's the worst that's going to happen? Okay, if, if, you, if you don't respond to that email until tomorrow, what's the worst that's going to happen? And are there situations, outliers of things that there are serious negative consequences for something happening? Maybe, you know, emergencies, things like that. Um, you know, especially folks with kids are like, well, I can't, I can't, you know, have my phone on do not disturb when I'm out at the movies because the babysitter might need us. And I'm like, okay, but is that true? Or is that something that you're 
using as a way to justify the, your, your, the behavior that you've chosen to already do. Like you can't be just, you know, convinced otherwise of it, right? And I think if there's contingency planning, there's things that you can do to, I think maybe build that resilience to the unknown. Um, I can't, I just, again, it's one of those things I, I still struggle with that too, given I, I usually have a few things going on at any given time. But I found that more often than not, if I do take the time to completely disconnect and I genuinely do that for my own mental health, that when I come back, almost none of the things that I assumed were likely to happen be due to my maybe anxious behavior, they didn't happen. And it, sure, every now and again, something blows up, but I think the batting average is pretty high that things will be fine. And you should, it's probably in your best interest to find, find whatever that means for you. Some people, you know, I've, I've, um, I think it's, uh, I think it might be Tim Ferriss. He, he scheduled like a month out of the year where he completely goes off the grid, literally tells his entire empire of team, hey, guess what? I'm going to Antarctica for four weeks. He literally can't get a hold of me. And it sounds crazy for someone to have a you know large organization and people working for them to just disconnect. But I think you just make the choice and then make the decisions in support of that choice and then get people on board with you and then you just do it. And then everybody else has to kind of work around it. And, and I've seen leaders, I've seen leaders do that as well, where they're like, Hey, guess what guys, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go take four weeks of vacation to go to Europe to, with my family, because, because I'm an executive and I can, and I actually like when someone has the confidence to do that, where they go, yeah, no, I'm going to go take care of my family and this business will be there. It'll be fine. It's and inspiring. it's so, ref it's so refreshing. And you just go, yeah, no. And, and you can't get a hold of me. I actually, if you send me an email, I'll delete it. That <laughs> makes me laugh so hard because it's so the opposite of what you would expect someone in that position to say. You're like, no, you can you can text me 24 hours a day. You're like, that's not. I mean, it sounds nice in the moment, but that's in practice. That's not a great behavior to show everyone, at least in my opinion. Right. It takes discipline. It takes discipline and that boundaries and saying no. I mean, we have to unplug and recharge to, to be our best. So I want to dive into jujitsu because it's fascinating to me, Rob. You're, you know, a director at Microsoft, you're a guy in tech, but you also know how to unplug. You're goal-oriented. You have this discipline about you in jujitsu. So you're an instructor, I believe. And then you also compete globally, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, um, yeah, it's my story with jujitsu is very, it's it's actually very, it's a common thing when you meet people in jujitsu. It seemed like it, it, when I talk to other people that don't do it, they they seem like oh, that's that's wait, hold on a second, because I I got diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when I was in my teens, so my hands they were just lock, so I couldn't make a fist, and I couldn't. Um, it just, all the joints in my body, they just, it, it, almost as if someone were rusting. That's the best way I can explain it. It's like, if you're just got rusty joints and it just, things don't move properly and you're just in pain all the time. That's what it was like when I was in high school. And I tried so hard to figure out physical things that I could do. And the main thing that I did was guitar. I played guitar like a madman all the time. Just, I could, if I keep my fingers moving, then I'll be fine until I go to bed. I wake up, my hands won't work again. Then I'll just warm them up in the shower, start playing guitar all day. And I, I did that for a long time. And then I ended up having some friends that 
uh, that started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I was always interested in martial arts, combat sports, and boxing. And and my dad and I watched a lot of it growing up. And and I decided that I wanted to go in and, and try it out. And I was terrified that when I went in because I, I had no idea what was going on. I was, you know, I was uh, an older grappler, so I I think I was twenty. Uh, and, yeah, my 29 when I walked in the door and it was, it's, it's a running joke at my gym that, cause my, my professor was at the, the front desk and I couldn't open the door. So I like had both my hands on the door and it's a whole old heavy door in an industrial district. And so I would like turn in the knob and I'm like trying to open the door and I'm like, like sneaking my way in because I, my hands are so messed up. And he's just like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I want to come take class. He's like, okay. And so I took class and it was so hard. And the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a, it's a grappling art. So it's not, you know, karate chops and punches and kicks. It's uh, more like a very technical form of wrestling and grappling on the ground. So you're trying to use leverage and timing and uh, game theory to beat someone in a game though, the whole game, it's like, it's like when you're wrestling around with your brother and you're trying to make one of them say uncle, mm -hmm. that's basically jujitsu is you're trying to, you're trying to get them in some sort of joint lock or, you know, strangle or something like that to make them go, okay, all right, all right, all right, checkmate, you win. That's the whole point of the game. And it's, it's one of those things that it, it gave me so much physically and mentally that it, it's, almost like I'm making it up that I, my body is different. My brain is different. I've got more, I'm like flexible now where I wasn't even like normally could, you know, it's difficult for me to, if I was sitting down watching TV on the floor, I had to rock my weight up and then hopefully someone would help me up because I couldn't put my hand on the ground to stand up where now I can, you know, I can go and train with college wrestlers and, MMA fighters and go and compete internationally and and it's not because of anything special that I did it wasn't like I overcame all this stuff I just just showed up to class and I listened to my coaches and didn't quit and it's really inspiring because then I can share that story with my students where they may come in and you know maybe they're you know a mom in their their 40s who wants to feel more comfortable when they're walking in a parking lot with their kids. And that's one of my students that sort of, that's why she came in. She's like, Hey, something happened in a parking lot. I didn't, I felt very vulnerable and I didn't want to feel vulnerable with my kids around me. Like I got you come to class three days a week. Cool. And I mean, she lost like 50 pounds in her first year and you just see that, you know, and she's got a com community of people that she's around and she feels more comfortable. And it's like, Jiu-Jitsu does that. It's the the community aspect is is so prevalent because everybody's got a story, and whether they come in and they're on the local SWAT team and they're already really tough, they've still have to go through really challenging things to deal with, you know, a little skinny tech nerd that knows the game more than they do, or you know maybe there's somebody else. There's there's always this um, accountability portion of it where you you got to show up. And the thing I, I, I say this to my students a lot is that the, the mats don't lie. They know whether you're coming, they know whether or not they, and they're, they're objective. They just like, sure, you can come in, you've got attributes and you've got skills, but if you're not working on your craft and you're not spending the time, 
they know and they're sometimes unforgiving <laughs> and, and and i think it's 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 very um it's very humbling to be able to be a part of a community like that and to feel like the efforts that you put in that they can not only have an impact for myself my family my career but also i can um like earlier this week we had the the first um the first juvenile in our school to ever go through the whole kids program which it's a uh, he's been training longer than i have so he's been training 11 years and so he basically got his juvenile black belt. It's called a green and black belt. They don't have technical black belts for, for kids, but to get a black belt in jujitsu, it takes an average of 10 to 15 years of constant two to three, two to three times a week at minimum for 10 years plus. And it's, it's like getting your doctorate. It's the same amount of time. And he's got that. And he's, and I think he just turned 15 and you get to see the poise and the, character of someone that young going through something that hard and then to see how good he is with his brother and the other students that are younger than him and it's just like man that's it's so impressive to me to see what the the outcomes are for things like that and that's why I'm such an advocate for it because it's um it's truly been something it's uh it was an unexpected thing for someone later in life because most everybody's like and, and I know people that they start jujitsu in their 50s and they can still enjoy it and have, get a ton out of it and stay healthy and active. And you get a part of this really cool community of people. And it's like every walk of life, you know, you've got everyone from, you know, I've got D1 athletes and, you know, soccer moms, SWAT team guys, computer nerds, and, you know, cops, guys that have been to jail. We're all hanging out together and, and doing something hard. And it's uh it's it's a very it's an interesting place to be. That's why I like to that's why I like to spend as much time there as I can. So it's discipline, but it's also culture, community, connection. It's a way of yes. bringing people together. In yes. a in yes. you're reminding of a private pre previous conversation you and I had about when you coach teens and the difference between people that are looking to build more maybe confidence and courage. Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about that, if you remember. Yeah. So it, what's interesting about it is because especially when when I work with, when I was, you can see it more with younger people, but I, I think this goes for just people in general, but especially with younger people, because they're still developing, you'll have, even in the same class, you'll have someone who is maybe not physically gifted yet they haven't maybe hit puberty or they're not confident and they're you know still kind of a beanpole or whatever it might be and they don't have the confidence and if they train jujitsu they can build that confidence and they build that resilience and that grit and then their body also builds with them and then at the same time in the same class like you can see the experiment running at the same time you can see another kid that is an athlete or that is uh, you know, popular and gregarious and has the beginnings of an ego. And that kid, it's almost like jujitsu starts to bring them down to say, Hey, you've, you, you've, there's always, there's always kind of like a, an accountability arm to it that, Hey, you can still learn. You're like, you don't, there's, you don't have it mastered and you never will. And it kind of helps like suppress the ego and open up empathy so that like for instance the the uh, student that i was talking about is a 
very, very talented kid. He's very sharp, very like athletically gifted. But for him, jujitsu, it, it maximized those those attributes. But I think it also created more empathy in him where maybe if he had been doing something else, he would just be like elevating the ego more of like, hey, look at me, I'm special. Whereas he he doesn't have that. It's like he has the skill set, but then he's also going, "Hey, man, trust me. I, this was really hard when I stepped when when I started too. And and don't worry, just keep showing the class. Or here, let let me help you. And then I get to see him turning into a leader, even though he's got all this talent and you know maybe in a different path, maybe he turns into a bully. Maybe he turns into someone that that has those kinds of characteristics where, you know, that archetype of the you know the the jock from the teen movies, you know, who's kind of picking on everybody. It's like that maybe that could have happened, but because he's in jujitsu that it didn't. And, and he's, I just could not be more impressed with seeing that. And, and it's something you see consistently that you see people that they, everybody kind of meets in the middle, you know, the feast of the rise, their confidence, and then other people that actually creates humility and then we're all kind of on those the same playing field, and it's it's fascinating to watch. Especially, I, I you know, I've just spent a lot of time studying and reading a lot about leadership and personal development, and then you get to see like a a, a really interesting experiment run out with multiple control subjects at the same time, and um, it's a it's a weird thing to be able to to watch. And it's a very cool thing to be a part of. That's fascinating, Rob, because I'm an outsider with jujitsu, and now I'm intrigued, and I might want to take a class. I have to. Please right do. Right. Um, and it's so neat because it aligns so well to five methodology where it's courage, mm -hmm. confidence, and you said balance and the other two are decisiveness and clarity for me, uh, and the five pillars. So you're a big reader. I listened to a recent podcast you were on and it, you were up to 150 books this year. So that was a while ago. So I think that number is yeah. probably much higher. Yeah. Well, it's, I think he asked, he, I, I know which podcast you're talking about. So my, my friend, he asked, he's like, how many books have you read? And I'm like, ever? I'm like, or in the last like couple of years, he's like, let's just say three years. I'm like, I, probably pretty close to 150. I, 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 I try to read a book a week. That's, that's kind of my, my thing is, is I, I, I try to, that's always my goal. Or I usually have a few going. I try to finish a book once a week and I do awesome. have an analog copy right here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your support. <laughs> so you started this Rob's Reads, and that was another reason why I wanted you to be on my podcast. Not only are you a friend, but and a co former colleague, but you took the time to read my book and you gave me four stars. So thank you. But what I was fascinated by is you, you did exactly what I was hoping the men that would read this you'd have the male perspective. And so, yes, it's for working women to overcome adversity, fear, and self-doubt, but there are lessons for men. So I would love the Rob's Reed sort of Cliff's Notes version for our readers on your take through a male perspective. Thank you. And um, I really enjoyed the book. I knew that it was going to be great. And, and I've always appreciated your perspective on uh, any of the conversations that we've had professionally getting to see you, um, you know, especially on some of the stages that you've been on, it's a very proud thing to be able to see, you know, one of your peers that you have a lot of respect for um, getting some well-deserved uh, shine and attention for the things that they do. And this is one of the things that I think, especially with the book and how you, how you structured it is a, 
I think it was very effective in sharing things that I think a lot of women can relate to and a lot of things that men like myself who work around women, like we have heard similar stories. And I think it also creates this other inflection of was I a part, was I involved in one of these kinds of scenarios? Was I the person sitting on the sidelines who saw that this was occurring or had heard that this was occurring? And how did I show up for that person? Did I, was I an ally? Did I check in with them or did I dismiss it? Or did I maybe miss an opportunity to go, hey, why don't you go for that? Why don't you go for that opportunity? You're just, you're, you're just as talented as those, as those people are. Like, why wouldn't you go do that? Like, could, could I have supported them more if they were, they were wanting to go for an opportunity or if there was an incident that had happened and did I just kind of sit by, sit in the corner and try to pretend like it didn't happen or something like that. Like, I think having those kinds of reflection points when I think, I think it's a, it's a missed opportunity for people in general to not seek out things that aren't maybe explicitly marketed to them because things kind of get served up to us, right? You have, you know, there's all sorts of ads that will pop up on your phone or, or things that'll come into whatever social media you're on. And if you don't actively seek out different perspectives, it's really difficult to learn at a more broad scale. And that was one of the reasons that I was interested in the book itself, aside from, you know, our connection is too to just say, okay, well, I, I haven't, I haven't taken the time. I think the, the one other, um, the one other book that I read was, um, there was a, a, it was specific, I can't remember the title of it, but it was, uh, specifically around, um, negotiation skills for women in the workplace. Cause I really liked, I studied negotiation books and, um, I've, I've always been something I was interested in. And this one was, um, was very specific on, well, Hey, how does, how do you, how do you still be authentic to yourself, but to still seek out and ask for the things that you want, especially in a negotiation and, you know, just using that as an example. And I think one of the things like the biggest takeaway for me in the book is just that awareness and, and really kind of checking in with people, especially trying to like, if there's, if there's something that occurs, whether it's, uh, I know that uh, a friend of mine is going for a job interview, or maybe they have a big presentation, or if something happens, I'll, I'm, I'm trying to be much more intentional about checking in and not, not in like a inspection kind of way to, you know, like to then offer my solutions or whatever that is, but just literally just be a good friend and just check in with people and say, hey, how are things going? What did you think of that? And not to necessarily offer my opinions of things, but really try to seek to understand at a better level. And I think with some of the stories that you shared, and, and I, I liked the, I like that it wasn't just a case study. It was, these are human beings. These are, they, they have families. They listen to music. They have, you know, like it, it it personalized it in a way that I think also humanizes the experience that people have outside of their social identities or whatever that might be, where you go, Oh no, it's people are people and you can have conversations with them and you can check in and 
maybe there's a maybe there's something you don't agree with and maybe you should lean into why you don't agree with that and seek to understand that more you know if and and i found myself especially you know there's so much political division and things like that that have been happening at maybe an accelerated rate in the last few years and i think it's it's kind of a cop out just to shut down conversations and to say oh okay well you're on team X, so I'm on team Y. So I guess that's it. Well, we'll just call it a day. And and I think that any opportunity that you have to really kind of separate your emotions from whatever reaction think people might have and try to dig in a little bit deeper. Like, okay, well, why do you feel that way? What 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 led you to that? What what led to your perspective? Even if it's painful to hear or you don't agree with it, like at a basic level. I think that those conversations, you can find common ground for people, even if you don't end up agreeing afterwards. Um, I just find that it's any opportunity that you have to learn from other people, you should take, even even if it's simple. And, you know, I think that that's uh, part of why I was really, I was very, uh, I was looking forward to reviewing the book uh, from that lens because, uh, one, just at a at a storyline level, I find it fascinating to try and say, okay, well, how what 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 is my perspective on issues like this? How do I how do I feel about it? Am I doing everything that I can? Am I uh, using the the platform that I have, although it's not uh, uh, you know I'm not not a, a massive global sensation yet, but um, it, it's one of those things where okay, in in, in my in my so you know circle of influence. Am I a positive influence and am I supporting people and am I taking in new ideas to help grow and expand? And um, and I, I just think you did a fantastic job with one, sharing those perspectives, but giving tactical, hey, here's some things to go and think about and here are and, and resources for me that I can, I can share that with uh, people that I'm working with and people that I'm mentoring and, and counseling and I can go, Hey, you know what? I've got, I've got a great book for you. And, uh, I, so I thank you for doing that because it's going to be something that I'm going to be, uh, actively recommending to some friends of mine. Well, I humbly thank you for reading it and recommending it for your support, Rob. And, and you nailed it because I wanted to write a business how-to book, but I didn't want to write a business how-to book. Mm-hmm. I wanted, I learned best through storytelling. And so that's what I wanted to do. And so each of my five characters are real life stories. It's nonfiction, but they're compilations into each character. And so I, I had a lot of fun with it. And I also appreciate tangible takeaways. And so that's why I wrote it the way I did. I've got to ask, as you were reading this book as a man, which side were you on? Yes. Checking the boxes that you're doing all the things or, you know, you're doing some of them, not all of them. I think, I think for me, the the times that, especially earlier in my career, and I think, especially at the, the uh, when I was working for in, at Microsoft earlier in the um, the the earlier days were definitely different culturally, and I think that there were opportunities that I could have taken to do a better job of kind of being like I you know, Hey, that's one that maybe don't say that publicly at an all hands meeting or something like that. You know, just like kind of like comments and things like that, that I think aren't necessarily, they're not helpful to culture. And I think that's usually how I think the, the lens through things, 
But I think as I've gotten more established in my career, I feel much more confident in being able to, you know, speak truth to power when necessary or to pull a leader aside. And and I there were opportunities that's what there's one in one in particular where there was a, a scenario that you know I, I pulled a leader aside and was like, listen, I respect you immensely but you really, really messed that up. And I don't necessarily know that you have the self-awareness to realize the impact that you have. And most people probably won't, won't share that with you, but I will. Please don't do that again. <laughs> like, and, and that was, you know, it was like a blood boiling kind of moment. And, and it wasn't to, you know, white knight the situation or anything like that. It was, no, that I was like the voice of my dad. It's like, okay, if my dad was in this meeting, would my dad have a conversation with this person afterwards? And then but they were like, yeah, he would. I'm like, okay, that's all I needed. And, and just yeah, that, so that like, yeah. And, and it's, and I don't know that I would have necessarily done that earlier in my career, but especially as you get more established, you maybe got a little bit more of a, um, a footing on things that makes it easier. But I think people finding whatever way that they can to stick up for people and, look out for them in in their best interests and 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 not even to the more extreme sides of it just being a good person just being friendly yep. you know right. that the, those kinds of things like that you you have more at bats to do that throughout your day particularly with service staff and um people in in uh in you know in your community and um just being kind i think will mm-hmm. take you a pretty good far goes a long way. And we're told if we see something, say something. So I can doing that. So your goal oriented as we round the turn, you also have a lot of hobbies. And so, you know, you have tattoos, right? I'm going to dare I say that's a hobby, passion. (laughs) (laughs) For better or worse. (laughs) So, um, which is great. It's art. It's art. I think it's a differentiator. And, and for me as a conversation starter, right, I was fascinated when I met you and I learned a lot uh, being on your team with you, right, as, as peers and you had some great spreadsheet, I remember. So you've got the discipline, you've got the details, but you're also fun and funny and you love to cook. So you were talking about cocktail parties and you want to come up with music, right? But you also yeah. said something in a prior conversation, there's four things that you bring to a cocktail party. What are those four things? Ooh, if I'm going to show up at a cocktail party, um, one, it's, it depends. If I'm showing up someplace, then I'm going to like, I'll, I'll pretty much always bring a gift, especially if someone else is hosting, you should, you should show up with a gift. No, uh, more often than not. Uh, I prefer wine. So my wife and I, we both enjoy wine. So I'll usually show up with wine. Uh, more often than if, if summertime, depending of we'll bring white more often than not, it's going to be red. Um, we like Italians and, and so that's usually what we'll bring and we've got, we're wine club members. So we'll usually bring some stuff like that. Um, depending on who it is, we usually will bring records too. So that it's because we have a group of friends that when we get together, it's usually they're most, everybody's got a turntable. So we'll bring records along, um, food. So if you have for us, especially if you can bring along, uh, snacks, cheese, uh, because we've got an awesome little cheese shop that's there. Um, let's see, food, music, wine, um, 
And I think the, the, the last intangible one is the gratitude. It's, it's kind of, it seems, it seems kind of silly, but especially when you're showing up to someone's home and, or whatever that is, and you have the opportunity to uh, share your gratitude, not only for the experience, but for the relationship that you have with those people, particularly with our friends. Um, we had, we had a longstanding tradition with uh, my wife and I's best friends. They're, um, they were two uh, chefs in town. So we would get together and do Sunday dinner with them. And it was a thing where we would show up and hang out, cook all day and catch up on the week. And it was such a, a special time for us and, and being able to really build like real relationships with our friends and just being able to express that gratitude of like, this is like my favorite part of the week. And just that little, even if you're just, you know, hang out for a couple hours and you know, catch up on things and, and, you know, share a bottle of wine and have a couple snacks. It's like, it's not a, it's not a big event, but you can make it something impactful. And so it's something that's, it, again, it's, uh, just trying to be more present in your day or uh, enjoy the simple things in life. Um, it certainly helps. No, it's very and, thoughtful. Bill, and Bill Evans, Bill Evans, if you like, this is my, 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 uh, my one plug. If you want perfect music for a relaxing evening, just play anything from Bill Evans, particularly the album Undercurrent. That's one of my favorite jazz records of all time. And why is that? Uh, the the cover photo is one of the most striking photos I've ever seen. It's beautiful, and the music is incredible. It's just um, Bill Evans and um, uh, um, a guitar player, um, and they're just. It's, it's wonderful. You just listen to it and it makes you smile and kind of makes your blood pressure go down. It's great. Awesome. Well, thank you. The undercurrent. The undercurrent is my congratulations to you on your future MBA here. And uh, the new year, you're going to be raising a future pianist, becoming a father. That's right. right? Very excited. So congrats. <laughs> I'm very grateful for your friendship. And uh, we'll definitely stay in touch. So thanks for all you do. Also mentoring women. We didn't get a chance to get into that today. So Rob's Reads, highly recommend it. Follow him on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thanks so much, Gail. Special thank you to Rob Ash for being my first male podcast guest today. Special thank you to you for tuning in to today's conversation and to New Voice Studios for producing this podcast. The three key takeaways for me from my conversation with Rob, and before I even go into that, I mean, I could talk to him for days. He is so enlightening and so fun and so multifaceted. He's very successful at his job. He's very successful at winning uh, competitive awards around the world with his jujitsu and he loves to cook. He's a musician. I mean, what what is there that Rob can't do out there? That's what I keep asking myself. Okay, back to my three key takeaways. The first one is allyship. It's not about delivering allyship to a specific group. It's not just for men. It's not just for women. It's not men versus women. It's about everyone. It's being diverse and inclusive. That's what allyship is about. It's also about listening 
and listening to ask the right questions at the right time. So the people or person you are speaking to feels understood and heard. Secondly, there's something called the North Star exercise that Rob recommends when we're thinking about how do we thrive versus survive in our lives. And he recommends with this exercise where you take a list of 10 things that are important to you and your goals and narrowing them down to only one or two, one or two things that really matter to you where you're going to thrive. Rob has three and his are family, fun, and freedom, the three F's. And lastly, the last takeaway for me is jujitsu. Not only does it teach you discipline, but it disciplines three of my five pillars on calculated risk-taking, courage, confidence, and balance. Jiu-Jitsu is also about poise and character while providing flexibility and accountability in your life. So I hope that there were some great takeaways from my conversation with Rob today that you can implement immediately into your life. You can find Rob's reads on LinkedIn. And if you are interested in purchasing my book for yourself or someone you know, you can find me on Amazon. Full steam ahead, triumphant tales for working women to overcome adversity, fear, and self-doubt. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.